nights when one drink with the girls turns into a bottle, but you need your car for brunch the next day. There's pickup. Or at Friday work drinks, where you don't want to leave your car with expensive tools at the pub. There's pickup. Don't miss out on the fun. Get a pickup. Simply book on our app, and we'll pick you up to drive you and your car home. Two drivers arrive, one drives you home in your car, and the other driver follows. Download the pickup app today. That's PKUP, and wake up worry free. Hi, I'm Jack LeBrock. Hi, I'm David Reynolds. You're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Lavelle, and we're joined by a, a voice in the paddock. That's all sorts of different paddocks. South Australian, a large amount of his week, but Richard Grail, welcome to Inside Supercars. It's good to have you on the show. Thanks, nice to be back. How are we? Indeed, indeed, it is uh, good to be there, and I imagine you're looking forward to a home event for a change. Yes, it's nice they don't come along that often in our line of work these days, So, and, and especially now more than ever, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, re- really looking forward to getting down to the Bend for this weekend's OTR Super Sprint. It's a cool event. Um, the, the Bend has gone all out in promoting this weekend and, and making it as good as it possibly can be for the very large number of loyal South Australian motor racing fans who continue to turn out in force to events. So looking forward to it. Um, the, the venue itself continues to evolve and grow and, and develop and get better and better with every race meeting. So I'm... I'm pretty confident it's going to be the best event we've seen there yet and um, really looking forward to seeing how it plays out and with um, the racing we saw last year with the, the COVID affected schedule the, the round on the international circuit was outstanding, some of the best racing we've ever seen there with the high tyre degradation on the soft tyre um, produced three of the better races of the season so I think uh, we're, we're up to some good racing and the varied results will continue onwards one of the terrific things that uh, happens nowadays, uh, particularly at, at Tail and Bend at the uh, South Australian uh, event for supercars, is the GTs. And I see that you've got a 19-car field, which is fantastic, and there's lots of competition. It really is a, a terrific category nowadays, isn't it? Yeah, look, the GT racing in Australia has been through some challenges in the last four, three years. Um, we've the Australian GT Championships, as it was, struck some dramas. Um, there was some competitive discontent. Um, you know, it was, wasn't without its politics, but it's under new management, so the Australian Racing Group is involved, but, but more importantly as well, I think SRO um, are involved and they, they promote global GT racing around the world. So their input is significant. Um, really good set of rules and regs, good calendar, um, globally recognised, and I, I think the category is on its pathway to to regaining some of its luster that it had in sort of 2014, 2015, even 16, where it was just so so strong and so competitive. But it's a good field. Uh, 19 cars is pretty solid. A good mix of um, makes and models, which is cool, and and some really cool machinery. And, and people are investing in in new cars, which I think is probably the most positive sign. So. You know, the, the triple eight car where Brock Feeney alongside Prince Jeffrey, which is which is great. So be cool to see how young Brock goes in that car. I think the Groves in the Porsche will probably be the car to beat there. Um, the GV three R, I mean the, the bend was literally designed by people who race Porsches. So it, it suits the Porsche product down to a T with the balance of long flowing fast corners. So I think that car will be very, very strong. 
Uh, and Stephen Grove actually is focusing on his GT campaign this weekend rather than doing Carrera Cup. So he's having a round-off Carrera Cup uh, where he leads the Pro-Am Championship. So he's just going to focus on the GT car with his boy Brenton, and then he'll be back in Carrera Cup for subsequent rounds. So it, it's a GT track, though, guys. It's, it's, it's designed for GT cars and promotes great GT racing. So I think it'll be, uh, it'll be really good to watch. And we're back with sprint races at the Bend. The Bend 500 still seems like uh, it's a long way off. Yeah, look, yeah, it was disappointing the way that all unfolded, really, isn't it? And and certainly nothing the Bend did wrong from not ending up with the 500k Bathurst warm-up, and it turns out there's no Bathurst warm-up anymore. So as long as the uh, the only endurance race on the car meter is Bathurst, that's just the way it is. But, uh, you know, there's, there's certainly potential for there to be a long race. But a, a lot of the criticisms, I think, or maybe commentaries are better words, about the Bend early days was that the racing for supercars wasn't that stimulating. And the whole idea of an endurance race there would spice that up because you get the strategy playing out um, tied dig over a longer distance. But what last year did was show that with supercars willing to be innovative with their formats and their tyre regulations, um, the racing was bloody fantastic. And on the soft tyre at that circuit, it was outstanding. So... And those that had seen Porsche racing there in particular, where they run a really good Michelin tyre, which suits that racetrack, um, those that had seen that style of racing knew that all the supercars really needed to put on a good product was a decent front tyre that wasn't the hard Dunlop. It's a soft Dunlop. Give them some grip, give them some degradation, um, and all of a sudden you get great racing. So uh, will we see an endurance race there for supercars in the future? Maybe if they go back to having more than one two-driver race, it's probably in the box seat especially given with, with what's going on at Sandown and the, the likelihood that that place will will probably be turned into houses, unfortunately, within a couple of years. So, look, it's, it, I'm, I'm sure it's probably first cab off the rank if that happens, but in the short term, I think the product that's there will be, um, will be pretty good and I'm sure the fans will lap it up. And the new tyres for this year will also be interesting to see how they play out with what we're going to see over the two days of supercar mm-hmm. racing. Yeah, you're right, and the, it's a quite it's a funny surface, Craig, because it's it's very smooth, billiard table smooth, but it's a long. So the the tire wear itself isn't enormous, but there's so many fast loaded corners, um, it's very very difficult on tires. So you do get that degradation over a distance, and we saw that last year. So the the current supercars model of not quite having enough new tyres to see a weekend out uh, actually works really, really well because by the end of the weekend, someone's going to be out on their feet and you'll get really, really good stimulating racing as guys blaze through the field on good rubber and those might be at the front have got not quite so good rubber, will drop back. So it'll it'll play out like that. And that's exactly what we saw last year in the first of those two rounds during the shortened COVID season on the long track where we're back racing this year. Um, we saw that that high degradation play a role and promote really good motor racing. Richard, now we're talking to you about previewing uh, Tail and Bend, of course, supercars, but I'd like to spend a couple of minutes giving you a very long history involved in the top end of open wheelers in this country, and I imagine your ultimate excitement, because not only did you see some terrific racing, and yes, it would be good if there were more than 10, but it doesn't matter, we'll live with that, but the fact that a team that you're involved with so long picked up their seventh title. 
BRM. I, I'm really pleased. I imagine Bronte would have been sitting back in Adelaide in, uh, enjoying a, a wine and, and enjoying that. Mark, his son, has been doing a fantastic job. It must have been personally satisfying for you to see that happen. Uh, yeah, look, it was. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to know the BRM guys since I basically since I started in the sport in, in 2004, so even before that, 03. So, um, yeah, I've, I've had a great relationship with them. I think from their point of view, what they achieved was um, just outstanding from a motorsport point of view, let alone my, my personal connection and feelings about it because... To win, to win seven championships in anything is an enormous accomplishment, but to do it in um, a championship with the kind of history that the Gold Stars got um, is, is just huge. And the fact as well that they tied another race team I'm a big fan of, which is Barana Racing, um, for the most Gold Star titles for a team of all time at seven. So Barana won seven at the peak of the Formula Holden era, so three titles with Paul Stokel, one with Jason Bright in 97, Simon Wills got grabbed a couple there, and um, Rick Kelly, of course, in the, the Young Lions car with Barana Run. So that was an amazing era for Formula Holden. That was when Formula Holden was at its peak. BRM dominated Formula 3 for a long time. Um, they won eight F3 titles, two of them before it became the gold star, but then um, won six titles there, and they were very, very proud to continue that legacy of S18s in particular being competitive in the Australian Drivers' Championship and representing that award. And, and because they're, they're open-wheel purists, Tony, like I am, and they understand what the award means and the history of the award, where perhaps in some instances recently it, it has sort of dropped off the radar, I would have thought, in the last 15 years especially, um, and then it's been parked since 2014. So I, I'm really pleased that a team that, that has just such a, a reverence for the award and understands what winning it means in the context of our sport is. So that was a great story. But, you know, from a, with my championship hat on, it was a great, a great pleasure for me to be able to call the season. Um, and it was just so cool to see vibrant, big wings and slicks racing with cars that are difficult to drive, that are fast, that, that make you step back from the fence a little bit when they go by with a group of really competitive drivers that aren't necessarily all young juniors coming through. Um, the, the gold star in its peak Formula 3 era, most of those drivers were all young guns trying to make their name for themselves. But the drivers in the field this year have all done that for the most part. Like, you know, Joey Mawson's been to Europe and raced at a high level. Tim Macro's won two titles. Tom Randall has won championships on the path to supercars. So they're proven drivers driving great racing cars at, at high speed and putting on a show. That I love that about it. And they're really spectacular cars. And you mentioned the grid numbers, 10 cars, not brilliant, but a, the championship can get away with having 10 cars because they're so spectacular. You could have a five-car race and it'd be, still be very, very entertaining. But season one, coming off the back of, of COVID year in 2020, um, it's only going to get bigger and better. And, and I, I would put my, put my livelihood on the fact that I reckon you'll see at least 15 for season two, but I, I would suspect it'll be much more than that. Indeed. And Richard, it, it's worthwhile just reflecting and, you know, I can't think of anybody better position and knowledge to talk about it, is the extraordinary thing is the very strong history of South Australia as an open-wheel estate. Mm. Because, you know, Elfin cars, Barana cars, preceding the, the Grand Prix in 85, it all happened in that state. I was involved in it for a short period of time and 
Um, I love the fact that uh, the state is so strong, and it's extraordinary the fact that it was so strong for so many years, and you know that that it had that real innate, whether it was Malala or then you know from eighty five to that period there, where the Grand Prix obviously brought things to a to a height again, didn't it? Yeah, it did definitely. The irony is when the Grand Prix came to town the gold star was in a real lull and it had shifted from, from AF1, F5000 um, to Formula Pacific, Mondial, um, and, and really dropped off the radar because I think people had spent so long watching F5000 cars. When you watch anything other than them, it's a bit of a letdown. And in 87, when David Brabham won the gold star, it was one race, literally one race championship held at the Grand Prix for Formula 2 cars. So... Yeah, it, it was ironic that when the Grand Prix was at its peak, the Gold Star wasn't, um, and it sort of ebbed and flowed through there. But you're right, the, the history here is significant. I've had the good fortune, as I'm sure you have, of, of chatting to Malcolm Ramsey a lot about their Formula Holden history, and um, but even before that, with Burana Racing Cars that, that went back pre-pre them being a professional race team, they were a, a, a car constructor, and of course everything that Gary Cooper did with Elfin and um, those cars were built. Just, just to the south of Adelaide, just off South Road. And I've been down there. There's a little plaque outside where the old factory was um, uh, in Edwardstown. And, and that's very, very cool. So, yeah, there's, there's great history here. And, and that's why South Australia produces these wings and flicks specific teams uh, like your BRMs and like your Baranas, I think. And I, I, it's great that that tradition continues. But most importantly now, it's great that there's a category that can live up to the hype, I think, and, and S5000. And to their eternal credit, Motorsport Australia did a really good job of engaging with the with the award. It's their award. They own it, the Australian Drivers' Championship. And and during the Formula 3 era, they it was sort of like, oh, here's the award. Off you go. Do with it what you please. So there were no resources put behind it. There wasn't much promotion. Um, we'd get the CEO out to hand over the gong every now and then, but that was about it. But... You know, they got the president out at the weekend. They put a lot of effort into social media. Um, they did a really nice job of recognising the fact that this, for a long time, was their premier award over the Australian Touring Car Championship, over whatever else might be there. So that was a really heartwarming thing to see as well and, and gives me a lot of hope that we can build this thing back to um, a level where it's one of the most esteemed awards in our sport in this country. And I think the S5000 cars will help that because they're just, outrageously cool things to watch race. Well, before we uh, get to see F uh, S5000s on the track at the bend, we have got this weekend, and and even before the supercars come on, there's an interesting Friday with some interesting classes, including the V8 Super Utes return. Mm. Yeah, it's um, it's a good program, Craig. I think uh, with, the, with the two GT categories in... GT World Challenge and, and Porsche Carrera Cup, which is just extraordinary this year. That championship's bonkers. And after open wheel racing, you boys both know that that's my, my other love. Um, that's going to be great. But, yeah, the, to get the um, the first round back of Super is interesting. I, I think everyone's really keen to see how it plays out. Um, I think most people would agree that version 1.0 with the diesel engines wasn't a, a rip-roaring success. So to see what this... Uh, rebooted, revamped, I suppose, category can do uh, at a big, fast and flowing circuit. So it's going to be a really good test of those cars uh, and their new dynamics, their new wheel and tyre package, 
horsepower won't be a problem and they'll be able to use all of the 450 odd they've got at the bend along the, the long front straight. But how they behave through the fast flowy stuff will be really interesting. Oh, it could be a good ticket for good racing. This will be a really good, you know, first hit out for this category and its new guys. So the sport needs, especially on the supercars program, I think they need a couple more strong support program, support categories. So they need, I think they need this to be successful. And I think everyone's got their fingers crossed that it will be. And it'll sort of give us a look back to the days where V8 Utes burst onto the scene and were, were so popular because they were big, they were noisy, they moved around a lot. And they just produced really entertaining racing. So hope, hopefully we get, hopefully we get some of that. But yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how they, uh, they unfold at a track so unique like the bench. Mm. And of course, we can't let you go without uh, the other big topic, and that is uh, the infrastructure from Clipsal. And it mm-hmm. sounds like some of it's going to find a home at the Bend, which is is great news because infrastructure like that, it's expensive. So to be yeah. able to get some infrastructure that's already there is going to help with the ongoing development of the Bend, yep. ignoring the fact that it's a loss to the fans who love Clipsal. Yeah, look, it, it's such a political hotbed item, especially over here in Adelaide at the moment. It, it's very, very difficult to to filter through a lot of the political rubbish that gets talked about. But ultimately, the government, incumbent government, has made their decision. Um, they've made the call to, to get rid of all the gear that they own. So the best place for motor racing infrastructure to go is a car racing track. So there's zero downsides in the Ben getting hold of that gear and and using it to improve their facility. So if it is that the Adelaide 500 doesn't come back, um, then the best outcome is that as much of the gear there that makes a good fan experience as possible goes out to the Ben to improve that facility. So while South Australian race fans and national race fans will miss uh, and and really miss the Adelaide 500, at least the venue that they've got, the permanent venue that they've got will be improved because of it. So um, it's sort of like, it's almost as if they've left it to the bend in their will in a way that that they've been handed this gear. So that's really positive. There's going to be some big announcements about that over the weekend, about how that's actually going to work. So keep your ears peeled for that. Um, It it makes sense. But the, the other thing I think we're talking about is that there is an enormous amount of street circuit infrastructure in Australia. Like very few countries do street circuit racing as well as we do from an infrastructure point of view. So between supercars who own all the gear that build the the Gold Coast track, the Newcastle track, and part of what goes on up at Townsville, and IEDM who put it all together at every round, there's so much infrastructure. So if SA Labor and Peter Malinouskis, who's the opposition leader, gets in, and if he lives up to the agreement that he signed with supercars, that he'll bring the Adelaide 500 back. I'm not even remotely concerned that the infrastructure will disappear because there's so much street circuit stuff in Australia. They'll be able to find gear, no problems to put on a racetrack back in the Adelaide parkland. So it's probably been blown out of proportion a little bit from a, from a political point of view, because there's an election coming up in 12 months, but it doesn't worry me, and I think it's it's win-win for a motorsport fan. The 500 will come back one way or another um, if the if the opposition get in and the Ben gets an upgrade, which is fantastic. So that that's an improvement for motor racing users, fans who go out and use the Ben 365 days a year, which is as it should be. And naturally enough, with the Ben this weekend, the focus 
of that uh, infrastructure going to the bend has been there. But, of course, the Sheehan's do look after Malala now. And mm. I have to wonder, you probably know, if some of that infrastructure is going to go and support uh, South Australia's original road racing circuit. Uh, I honestly have no idea, Craig. Uh, I'd like to believe so. Uh, I, I'd sort of float around that Malala could use the uh, Adelaide 500 pit building really, really well, but I'm not sure if the government's going to part with that or use it somewhere else or, or what's going to happen. But um, I would love nothing more than to see Malala cop an upgrade as well because I grew up at that, literally grew up at that place and did my motor racing apprenticeship there. And it's one of my favourite favourite racetracks in the country for that reason. So um, I'd love to see it get a get a big upgrade with some new infrastructure and that clips all Adelaide 500 pit buildings pretty snazzy and I reckon it'd fit just nicely in the old the old Malala pit lane. But I'm not sure if that's high on the uh, on the government tip list at this point. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Well, I'm, I'm not privy to those discussions, unfortunately. I'd like to be, but um, yeah, who knows? There's, there's plenty of gear to go around. So uh, who knows? Perhaps the old uh, the old Lala will get a, get an upgrade down the road. Richard, thank you for joining us on Inside Supercars. Um, speaking of infrastructure from the uh, street circuit of Adelaide 500, Clipsville 500, I was talking to one of those pieces of infrastructure, one John Pengilly, who's been down at the track at the <laughs> Salem Empress quite a few days now. It was great to uh, hear that he's recruited yet again to be part of uh, this event, and I look forward to catching up with him. Of course, he spent, and I met him in his very early years with uh, Chris Murden and uh, those sort of things, it was uh, wonderful to see. I'm looking forward to being there, Richard, and listening to your uh, dulcet tones on the airwaves. Um, so best of luck. Have a great weekend. And uh, thank you for joining us on Inside Supercars, Richard Crail. Thanks, boys. Pleasure. And, yeah, you mentioned John Pangelli. That's great. And there's so many good brains in South Australian motorsport. I'm glad they're being used. So no, looking forward to it. Should be a cracking weekend. And one thing that we should always remember is about South Australia and the South Australian Motorsport Board is that – they taught Formula One how to do Formula One. It was the way in which, in 1985, the Grand Prix had a whole new benchmark set because they did it better than anyone had ever done it before. Definitely, definitely. And I was reminded of that when, when Murray Walker passed away and, and he was just so blown away. I remember an interview with him that when he arrived in 85 and no one knew what to expect and they rocked up and it was the best venue on the calendar. Um, the fact that it was a straight circuit didn't matter. So, uh, yeah, I, yeah, the state's always punched way above its weight, and that's what I love about it. Thank you, Richard Crow, for joining us on Inside Supercars. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more, or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.